Matthew chapter 7. I'm going to read verses 13 and 14. Matthew chapter 7. While you're turning, as I've said, this is a, now as we move into December, people's thoughts are turned to the Lord in one way or another, sometimes very casually or superficially, but others quite sincerely. But uh, this is, as I mentioned earlier, a great time to witness to others and tell them of his saving grace. After all, Jesus Christ was born into this world to be the Savior of all mankind. That's the message he brought with him. That's the message he bore throughout his earthly ministry. It was the message that was preached by the disciples and is the message of every New Testament church today. So when we consider this morning... This opportunity that God has laid before us. I'm going to do something a little different. I'm going to preach a salvation message this morning as a reminder to us. We're settled. We're safe in Christ. We who know Jesus Christ is a saving. I trust everybody this morning does. But if you do not, it's important that you come to know Christ as your Savior before it's eternally too late. But this time of year is not just one for celebration and enjoy gifts and packages and, and cards and, and meals and time together. It is a time to call attention to the fact that Jesus Christ is the Savior of all who will trust in Him. So with that, I'd like to speak this morning on uh, this passage of Scripture. Matthew chapter 7, verses 13 and 14. The scripture reads, Enter ye in at the straight gate, for wide is the gate, and broad is the way that leadeth to destruction, and many there be which go in thereat. Because straight is the gate, and narrow is the way which leadeth unto life, and few there be that find it. Speaking this morning on the subject, Red Lights on Hell's Highway. It's an odd title, but you'll understand in just a moment. Many have used the analogy of a journey to describe one's experiences as we travel down life's road uh, headed toward our final destination. Here in this passage, Jesus alludes to such a journey with an important warning for all who are traveling life's highway. National, state, and local agencies place a great deal of emphasis on highway safety. No doubt during this past Thanksgiving holiday, you heard uh, news stations tell us there will be extra troopers on the road. There were extra law enforcement people available to try and help to slow down traffic and keep people safe on the highway. And of course, this is very important. And along with that, there are many visible warnings along the nation's highways. Among these, are signs and lights that serve as a constant reminder to every traveler to be careful while journeying from one place to the next. You can't get more than a couple hundred yards from our property here before you run into a traffic light or going the other direction, going west, and a stop sign. And they're there for a reason. And it's interesting to note, red is the universal color that represents stop or danger. It warns us of trouble ahead. It's used on roads and highways, traffic lights, uh, vehicles, brake lights, train crossings, road flares, and emergency vehicles. But did you know that red is the hardest color on our eyes, and it is also the most easily recognized? So how appropriate there be warning uh, signs and lights in the color red so as to get the attention of travelers of impending danger. 
The tragedy is thousands are killed every year when they ignore these warning signs. Going back a number of years, there's an article about a driver of an SUV veered around a crossing arm, ignoring flashing warning lights before the vehicle was struck by a light rail train in Sacramento, killing an 18-month-old boy and two adults. A spokesman for the trans line said video from a camera at the crossing clearly shows the SUV driver going around the crossing arm into the path of that train. How tragic. And the sad thing is you hear things like this regularly. People ignoring stop signs. People ignoring traffic lights. People warn, uh, ignoring warning signs. And as a result, being injured or even killed. But in the spiritual realm, God has placed, I believe, red lights along the way to serve as warning markers to get people's attention and to alert mankind as to the eternal dangers that lie ahead. Much like the driver of this SUV, though, countless millions will ignore and disregard the warnings along the way and rush headlong into a devil's hell. Before we go any further, I want you to understand, God doesn't want anyone to go to hell. Hell was created by our Lord for the devil and his angels, the scripture tell us. Unfortunately, All those who reject the saving grace of the Lord Jesus Christ end up there as well before moving on to their eternal damnation. I'd like to consider five things this morning as we we look at this subject, red lights on hell's highway. First, man's conscience. This first warning I mentioned, by the way, there are many, but we're just touching on five this morning. But the first is man's conscience. Did you know the word conscious comes from the Latin term meaning to know together or the knowledge we share with another. Conscience is defined as a moral awareness. It is inherent and universal. Webster defines conscience as the sense or awareness of right and wrong. Kant speaks of it as a consciousness of a court within a person's being. Our conscience, it urges us to do that which we regard as right and to refrain from doing that which we understand to be as wrong. It passes judgment upon man's decisions and acts. Conscience, It gives us the ability to look at something and say, that's wrong, you shouldn't do it, or that's right, it's okay to do it. And you realize there are millions today in hell because they blew past the red light of their own conscience, thinking they know better. They said no to God one too many times. They knew better because everyone born into this world knows there is a God. And I realize people will argue with us about that statement, but we do acknowledge the fact that Scripture tells us everyone is born into this world with what is known as or what is identified as intuitive knowledge. That's found in John chapter 1, verses 6 through 9. It says, There was a man sent from God whose name was John. The same came for a witness to bear witness of the light that all men through him might believe. He was not that light, but was sent to bear witness of that light. That was the true light, notice, which lighteth 
every man that cometh into the world. God gives every person born into this world this knowledge that there is a God. Now, I realize many claim there is not a God, and uh, whether they call themselves atheists or whatever their particular view is, there are many who deny this. Well, the fact of the matter is, God gave everyone at birth this same knowledge. It is, as we said, inherent and universal. At one point in a man or woman's life or a child's life, they came to the conclusion that there cannot be a God because of circumstances or something that took place in their life or what they see going on around them. So for a person to be an atheist, they have to come to the conclusion, contrary to what they were born with, but that knowledge they were born with, that there is a God. Uh, we need to understand that everyone is born into this world with that knowledge, with a conscience that says there is a difference between right and wrong. So that's the first red light, the first warning along life's highway. The second we would consider would be Calvary's cross. Now, in early Christian times, the cross being itself was the most vile and repulsive of objects because in the minds of many people, it represented death and torture and pain. But for Christians, it became a symbol of that which was holy and precious because it became that which was associated with hope. We have a cross hanging here. We, we see crosses all around. People wear crosses as jewelry. The cross to the believer represents hope. Hope that Jesus Christ died in mankind's stead that we might have eternal life. Sad to say, many want to tone down the message of the cross today. They want to make it more churchy, more contemporary. They'll change its appearance. They'll change its style. They even change its meaning so that it becomes more contemporary, more acceptable, more palatable, if you will, to others. But like someone has said of old, give me the old rugged cross or no cross at all. You see, the cross in Scripture represents that which is painful and mortifying to the flesh. Jesus said in Matthew sixteen twenty four, if any man will come after me, let him deny himself Take up his cross and follow me. In Galatians chapter 6 verse 14, Paul wrote, But God forbid that I should glory, save in the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ, by whom the world is crucified unto me, and I unto the world. See, not only does the cross represent that which is painful and mortifying to the flesh, it re represents the fact that Christ suffered and died, that he in turn might purchase salvation for anyone and everyone who would come unto him. First Peter 2, 4. 
who his own self bear our sins in his own body on the tree, that we, being dead to sins, should live under righteousness, by whose stripes ye were healed. In Philippians 2.8, Paul wrote, And being found in fashion as a man, he humbled himself and became obedient unto death, even the death of the cross. Yes, Calvary's cross is a reminder today that to people everywhere there is hope in regard to the eternal destiny of our soul. Beloved, what a joy to know that something so horrific and something so horrendous and something so heart-wrenching as a crucifixion would turn out to be something so wonderful that Jesus could declare from his cross, it is finished. What a joy to know Calvary's cross stands as a red light on hell's highway reminding people there is an answer for the question of their soul concerning the matter of where will I spend eternity. Yes, every cross today serves as a reminder of God's plan of salvation and is a red light on hell's highway signaling to all to heed the warning For beyond the cross, there is hope. Oswald Chambers said, All heaven is interested in the cross of Christ, all hell terribly afraid of it, while men are the only beings who more or less ignore it. Charles Spurgeon said, The world's one and only remedy is the cross. How true it is. The cross of Calvary is the only hope of man's salvation. Well, another red light along the way, another flashing light, if you will, another warning that people should heed is the New Testament church. The New Testament church was established in the early part of the first century and has continued to this day. Now, people can argue whether or not Christ literally established the church during his ministry or if the church was officially founded at Pentecost. That's a debate that people are going to take with them all the way to heaven. But I believe that Christ set in motion the birth of the church. He planted the seeds for the church, but that it actually started at Pentecost when the Holy Spirit came down and filled and empowered the disciples when they spoke at Pentecost. But whatever your particular belief on that is, the fact is we do today have the New Testament church. In fact, we gather in this place today as a body of believers worshiping the Lord Jesus Christ here at Temple Baptist Church. Matthew 6 16, 18, Jesus said, And I say unto thee, Thou art Peter, and upon this rock I will build my church, and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. A church, as I've shared with you before, is a body of saved, baptized believers voluntarily banded together for the purpose of worshiping the Lord Jesus Christ, propagating the gospel, and edifying the saints. There are a whole lot of other things that go along with it, but the point is, we are here today to be taught about our Lord, that we might learn more about Him, that we might be encouraged in the faith, and that we might be challenged to go out from here and share that faith and spread it abroad that others in turn might be saved. Understand this. When we refer to the New Testament church, we're talking about a group of believers, not a cluster of buildings. You know, a lot of people talk about the church, the church, and they'll point to a building on the side of the road. No, the church, the church is sitting right here within these walls. 
This is the church house where we meet. And I think it's important for us to understand that that distinction because a lot of religious organizations, to them, the church is a building. It's an edifice. It's a structure. No. In the New Testament, we see Christ is the head and the church is the body. Christ is the foundation and the church is the building built on that foundation. Christ is the bridegroom. The church is the bride. Yes, the church is a living organism. It's referred to in scripture as the assembly of the saints, the body of Christ, the bride of Christ, the church of the living God, the congregation of believers, the flock of God, the fold of God, the general assembly of the firstborn, God's heritage, the house of Christ, or the household of God. Yes, this is a place wherein we meet, but we as the church recognize its presence is a symbol to all who pass by. Yes, There are church buildings all around the world. There are churches, bodies of congregations, believers who are gathered together as a warning to all outside of the family of Christ. There's something to this. It's something real. It's not just something we do because it's Sunday and we have to go to church. No, there's a desire in our heart to meet before God, to worship Him, and to gather with fellow saints. And we do so for the purpose of worshiping Him. This is a house of worship as we gather together. That's one reason I believe it being a house of worship, we ought to treat it with the utmost respect. We ought to treat the grounds, we ought to treat this place as though it belongs to the Lord, because certainly it does. We are merely stewards of this place while we are here. Oh, it's a place wherein we can worship the Lord. God is a spirit, and they that worship him must worship him in spirit and in truth. Not everybody feels that way. Acts chapter 17, verse 23, Paul, while in Athens, made this observation. He said, For as I passed by and beheld your devotions... I found an altar with the inscription to the unknown God, whom therefore ye ignorantly worship. Him declare I unto you. Beloved folks might not understand why we come here, but oh, if they'd only stop and ask, if they'd inquire, if they'd find out this is a place where God's people can meet to sing, to pray, to praise, to worship, to weep, to rejoice, and to enjoy the blessings of God's goodness. Familiar hymns emphasize the great importance of attending church. Songs like, We gather together to ask the Lord's blessing. Or, Brethren, we have met to worship and adore the Lord our God. Or, The church's one foundation is Jesus Christ, her Lord. Yes, the church stands as a red light on hell's highway, warning people, Stop. Think about what you're doing. Don't pass without giving attention to this thing. Tom Malone said, I'm convinced of the great emphasis that God places upon the local church and its ministry. It is his own instrument with which he designs to evangelize the world. Someone else has said, the church has many critics, but no rivals. Yes, man's conscience, Calvary's cross, 
and the church of God serve as warnings along life's highway. But what about God's word? Psalm 119 verse 160 says, Thy word is true from the beginning, and every one of thy righteous uh, judgments endureth forever. Psalm 119 verse 89. Forever, O Lord, thy word is settled in heaven. And then Jesus addressed this when he said in John 17, 17, Sanctify them through thy truth. Thy word is truth. Beloved, we have in our possession today God's holy word. And this book serves as a a warning. It serves as a flashing light, if you will, to people just stop and consider what it says. You know, a lot of people today, they believe the Bible is the word of God, but they know nothing about what it says. They believe it's the Bible because that's what they've been taught. That's what they heard all their lives. But you recognize there are literally billions of people today who reject this book as being from God. Either in ignorance because they've never heard it, they've never been exposed to it, or in opposition because they reject its teaching as truth. All beloved, the Bible, since the day it was first produced, well, since the day it was first produced, it took 1,400 years to, to write this book, but since the time it was compiled in a form that people could read and understand It has proven to be God's message to mankind. The Bible stands like a rock undaunted mid the raging storms of time. Its pages burn with the truth eternal and they glow with a light sublime. The Bible stands though the hills may tumble. It will firmly stand when the earth shall crumble. I will plant my feet upon its firm foundation for the Bible stands Someone said to most it is a mystery, to many a myth, but to us who are saved, it is the mighty word of God. Yea, many will doubt it because they say it's man's words. Lester Roloff used to say, good men wouldn't write it if they could, and evil men couldn't write it if they would. Yes, it is God's holy word. And by the way, the phrase ignorance is bliss doesn't apply here. It is God's truth, and everyone will stand before the Lord and give an account for their response to the message of the Word of God. Thus far, four things. Man's conscience, Calvary's cross, the church, the Word of God. But one more that we mentioned this morning stands as a red light along hell's highway. And that's you. Your testimony as a Christian. When we got saved... Scripture tells us, if any man be in Christ, he's a new creature. Old things are passed away. Behold, all things are become new. When we got saved, God changed us from a vile sinner to a child of the King. What a blessing to know. That was made available to us. And when we called upon him in faith and repentance, he saved us. And birthed us into his family. But as many as received him, to them gave he power to become the sons of God, even to them that believe on his name. And once that takes place, we then, as new creatures in Christ, ought to be living a life that's different than the one we lived before. 
Because we're new creatures in Christ, we have a new heart, we have a new home, we have a new harvest, we have a new hymn, we have a new household, we have a new hunger, and we have a new home. What a blessing. Why wouldn't we want to tell others about that great joy? Why wouldn't we want to share with others the fact that I once was lost, but now I'm found, was, uh, but now I'm saved and have my hope, have this hope that uh, I'm, I'm redeemed in Christ. 2 Corinthians 5.20, now therefore we are ambassadors for Christ. The witness, the prayers, the compassion, the tears, the comfort, and the friendship of a godly believer flash as a warning to the lost. There's something different about you. There's something I need. There's someone I should trust in. Beloved, if our testimony is clear and understandable to others, our vocal witness as well as our godly lifestyle, others will see that. And they may even someday come to us and ask, what is it about you that's so different? I hope you've had the opportunity to experience that you know, while serving in the Navy. You know, I had a number of men had a chance to witness to because they said there's something different about you. Not that I was a great person, not that I was all that good an individual, but the fact that I responded differently to the situations and circumstances we found ourselves in. What a difference it made. You know, when people are trouble, they're looking for someone who has answers. A godly witness will go a long way in helping one to understand and to acknowledge you have the answer they're looking for. Story is told, in fact, it's, it's reported by a sergeant in Egypt who told this incident about himself. He said there was a private in our company who was converted in Malta before the regiment came to Egypt. He said we gave that fellow an awful time. One terrible stormy night... He came in very tired and very wet. Before getting in bed, he got down to pray. He said, my boots were heavy with wet mud. I let him have one up one side of the head and the other on the other side. But he just went on praying. The next morning, I found those boots polished and standing by the side of my bed. That was his reply to me. And it broke my heart. And that day... I was saved. You see, our response in life situations, our response to those who would counter what we believe will demonstrate what's going on in our heart. For out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaketh. Do people hear us complain, bellyache, and fuss and fume because things aren't going our way? Or do they hear the phrase, praise the Lord, come from our lips in the midst of heartache and despair? These five things, they are real and evident and can be witnessed by folks every day. Man's conscience, Calvary's cross, local churches, God's word, and a Christian's testimony. Let me conclude with this thought. According to the NTSB, the Highway Safety um, Report, hundreds of people each year are killed in highway-related accidents. 
This includes single car accidents, multi-car accidents, single truck accidents, multi-truck accidents, auto and truck accidents, single bus accidents, truck and bus accidents, auto and train accidents, truck and train accidents, and bus and train accidents. So they they break all these different uh, tragedies down into multiple categories. But their records indicate the majority of these accidents occur not at night or in poor weather, but during the day. They have found road conditions most often are normal, including dry pavement, clear visibility, signals working properly, and no obstacles in or on the side of the road. This is especially true in train-related accidents. So really what you have is somebody tooling down the highway, everything's going just fine, and all of a sudden, tragedy strikes. Most often, it's a lack of attention or a choice to ignore the warning signs along the way. This is a problem for many today. They're just tooling along on life's highway, happy-go-lucky, enjoying each day as it comes, ignoring the church house they pass on the side of the road, ignoring the testimony of that Christian at work, never looking at the Word of God and accepting what it's saying is true, never considering the cross of Christ, never listening to their own conscience, saying, stop. Where are you going? Where will you spend eternity? Many today are headed for destruction, ignoring these and other warning signs along the way. As we head into this Christmas holiday, let's do our best to point people to Christ to be that warning sign along the way that this might be a blessed time of year for them. For not only can it be a holiday season, but it can be the day, the time, the month that they trust Christ as Savior. Wouldn't it be a blessing to hear of those who come to him as a result of our being that warning sign along the way?